as the chapter begins, chapter 6, it sort of reminds me of maybe a scenario that you've had. That you've been talking to someone, and they have gotten the worst possible interpretation of what you just said. You're talking, and they have the completely the worst possible misunderstanding. And you think, how in the world did you come up with that? And Paul's response to their question is, absolutely not. Paul's been describing how wonderful God's grace is, how it superabounds, and how it's like, a, if you will, a broad plateau with lots of room and all kinds of benefits. And he imagines someone saying, oh, so you're saying people can do whatever they want. Paul says, absolutely not. Now, that would probably be a sufficient response, actually. Uh, but Paul goes on at length for the next three chapters, actually, addressing this and other questions because this is an important reality for all of us to struggle with, whether we're Christians or not or confused. The Christian life is often confusing. We don't often know how to live it. It's easy to get confused in the midst of it. And Paul's going to spend three or four chapters talking about how we're supposed to live the Christian life. And the very first thing he's going to establish is the Christian life is a new life. So uh, we're going to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Please uh, follow along, if you would, while I read. What shall we say, then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who's died has been set free from sin. But now if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all. For the death he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. All right, let's pray together. Great Heavenly Father, we pray that you would show us wonderful things in your law, show us Jesus. Lord, be with us in the midst of our weakness. For some of us, it's going to be hard to pay attention because we're tired. For some of us, it'll be hard to pay attention because these are difficult matters, and perhaps we're just not familiar with these texts. This is a difficult text. And uh, be with me in the midst of my weakness. Pray for all these things in your uh, name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, during World War II, it was not uncommon for prisoners of war, once released, uh, to wander around lost due to their emaciated nature profound, long-term weakness, they would actually lose the ability to remember who they were. They would forget who they were. And in France, they would often run pictures of these men in the newspaper and then gather them all together and bring them to the opera house. And one by one, 
these men would walk forward before a crowd of many people that were looking for lost husbands and brothers. They would walk forward and tant the mic, and when they would say, uh, "Does anyone, anybody out there know me? Does anybody, anybody know who I am?" It's terribly sad, isn't it? Um, but that's the reality. They didn't know who they were. Now, you can imagine the, the longing with which these people would hope that someone would rush from the back and say, I, I know you. I love you. So good to see you. Where have you been? Uh, I'm your brother. We're taking you home. But you can also how easily imagine how difficult it would be to go time after time and to walk away not knowing who you were. You know, it's really hard to live life when you don't know who you are. It's hard to get traction. It's hard to get moving. It's hard to even establish a new life. Those questions keep popping up. Who am I? What am I supposed to do? And uh, that's what we find to be true in our text as well. We, we really just can't get very far in the Christian life, in this new life, unless we know who we are. And we're going to see today that the Christian life begins with realizing we have a new life in Christ. That's the main idea, that we have a new life in Christ, and that's where we have to begin. And uh, what we're going to see in our text is a new reality. That reality is our union with Jesus. It's a new reality, and that we need to rehearse it, and that it also calls for us to revolt. So that'll be a little interesting there at the end. Uh, you expected everything to be boring, perhaps, but no. There's a revolution at the end of this thing. Uh, so first, the new reality. And, and Paul answers the, the outlandish question that's given to him at the very beginning. Um, you know, so grace is so wonderful, then people can just do whatever they want, or they will do whatever they want, right? Paul is like, absolutely not. Don't you know we all died? That's his answer in verse 2. Don't you know if we believed in Jesus, we all, we all died. We all died to sin. And if you're reading this, you should really have one of these crazy, aha, like, sixth sense moments. If you watch the movie, I know it's a little bit older, and some of you are like, what's that movie? It's only like 12 years ago when you were a small child. But, you know, you watch the whole movie, and at the end, like, spoiler alert, the guy you've been following the whole movie, he finds out he's dead. And he's like, what? I'm dead? And you've been watching the movie with him the whole time, and you're like, what? He's dead? And and right now you should be thinking, like, what? I'm dead? Paul says if you're a Christian, you're dead. Like, you you died. Yeah, you didn't get it? All right. um, (laughs) So, uh, and the reason we're dead... And this is the real point of, of the text. The heart of the new reality is that if we've trusted in Jesus, we're vitally connected to him. Vitally connected. The, uh, the, the theological term for this, and you would expect some like multiple, you know, polysyllabic word. It's actually pretty simple. It's union with Christ. It's union with Christ. It's that we're vitally united to Christ in a relationship of loving loyalty. And actually, you would think that you know, it's all about us being loving and loyal toward him, and that's certainly important. The reality is, it's the other way. I mean, he's committed to his people. If we trust it in Christ, he's committed to us. So much so that this text just berates us with it, bombards us with the reality of our union with Jesus. In verse 3, I'm just going to throw these phrases out. This thing is peppered with prepositions. Don't you know all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might, not, might walk in newness of life. 
Verse 5, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we'll certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And it goes on. Uh, Verse 8, if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. Do you see it? In Christ, with Christ, buried with Christ, alive with Christ, with, it's just throughout. The text assumes that if you've trusted in Jesus, there is a withness. There's a togetherness. There's an inness that cannot be broken. It's a vital connection of loving loyalty. And it's so true, I sort of established this principle a couple weeks ago, that when Jesus is your representative, when he's the one you trust into, what's true of him becomes true of you. Remember that? Uh, That's what's true here. What's true of Jesus becomes true of us by virtue of our union with him. And that's how it is that we, if you trust in Jesus, have really died. You really have died. Now, if you read through the text again, not only do you see prepositions everywhere, but it reads like a Halloween, Edgar Allan Poe kind of thing. There's death and burial everywhere. Like, did you see that? There's like death and burial all over the text. Really. Um, and, and Paul's doing this not to be morbid. He's actually doing this to show us how if we are connected to Christ, Christ will take us through death and bring us to life. You see this in verses 3 and 4, that we're baptized into his death. That we're buried with him. Why? Follow it through the end of verse 4. That we might have life. The end of verse 4. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. But it's important to realize in what way we died. And actually, this text, I think, is really complicated. We're just skimming the surface. I think Paul actually probably has in mind three or four different ways in which we've died. Seriously, different facets of our death in Jesus, that we've died judicially, we're no longer guilty, that in some ways we've died morally, that we'll actually really die in the future. That's not necessarily important all right now. But I'll establish this one. In verses 3 and 4, he's saying, when you trust in Jesus and you're baptized, when you make a break with your old life, when you repent and trust in Jesus, you're dead to that old life. That chapter's closed. Not only the chapter, but that book's done. A new life begins. One theologian put it this way, baptism is a sort of funeral. On the other side, there's a whole new chapter in new life. But what Paul is saying is that old guilty life is dead and will no longer be held against you. And in this way, you become really alive. And you see this also throughout the text everywhere. Resurrection, raised in glory and power and new life and newness. And what we see is that Jesus, who went through death and came out the other side, by virtue of God's power working in him, he will bring us with him. You see this in verse 4. Again, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Because we're connected to him, because he rose from the dead, because God's power is at work in him, we have the promise of life, the guarantee of life, if you've trusted in Jesus. Now, uh, what this means is, and this is always true in regards to Christianity, is that uh, we tend to think of the future as far off. In Christianity, and in these promises of Scripture here, when God says, I promise I'm going to raise you from the dead, I promise you eternal life, it's of such a quality that it's actually not far and distant, it's pressing in. 
It's the nature of heaven and the biblical future to invade the present. And what, what Paul's starting to say is you're going to reap the implications and benefits of that right now. You really are. You're going to begin to live life differently even now. Uh, that you'll have a newness of life in verse 4. And that you'll have a new kind of freedom right now. Uh, he goes on and says in verse 6, because you've died, you're no longer enslaved. It's a new kind of life. No longer enslaved. Now, most of you are thinking, like, I've never been enslaved a day in my life. Uh, but Paul's talking about here, and he calls it in verses 6 and 7, the old self, or the body of sin. Now, what he's talking about is your old, or maybe perhaps currently, your, your current, uh, depending on who you are, uh, stubborn, prideful, independent, sin-loving self. It always tries to do two things at the same time, whatever it wants, and justify itself before God. That's what our natural human makeup is if we haven't been changed by Jesus. We're, we're people that want things our own way. We want to do it ourselves. We want to do what we want to do. And we want to fix it. And Paul's saying that thing is actually a, a master over you. It brings death to you. And if you've trusted in Jesus... That thing is not, this is important, it's not been killed yet. It's been crucified. What that means is it's probably in the process of dying. You know? Crucifixion takes a long time uh, to kill someone sometimes. You know, they would hang there for a while and die. Don't mean to make light of it. It's true. And Paul's saying that old, stubborn, sinful self of yours is dying on the cross right now. It's been dealt the final blow. This is important for you, actually, if you're a Christian, because it's going to help make sense of why you still struggle with sin. Because that old thing is still alive in you. It's alive and kicking and screaming for life. And it wants to be fed. And it wants to be nursed. And it wants to be taken care of. But you don't have to. You're free from its tyranny. You can live a different life. You can be free. You can be really alive. Uh, campus pastor, friend of ours, actually some of you may have met him a couple years ago, John Talley, he did our fall conference, heard the, the former Attorney General of South Carolina, whose name was Henry McMaster, give a speech at his own school at Washington and Lee a couple years ago. And earlier in his career, McMaster had uh, interned for a year under Senator Strom Thurmond, who was this aged old senator in South Carolina who just served for years and years and years and years and years. One day in the senator's office in Washington, D.C., uh, Thurmond told McMaster and the other intern, hey, I'm going to the White House today. I'd like you to go too. Got a meeting with President Nixon, I'd like for you to come along. That's great. So they get in the car and they're driving and they and they arrive at the at the gatehouse of the White House, at which point the guard, it's like, evening, Mr. Thurman, good to see you. Who are these men with you? Oh, these couple of interns. Well, Mr. Thurman, of course you're allowed to go in, but these guys have to wait in the car. And Strom Thurman replied, They're with me. And the gatehouse attendant said, But but they had to stay in the car. Strom Thurman said, You didn't hear me. There with me. And they met the president that day. And, and that's the principle that's at work here. If you're in Christ by faith and baptism, you're with Jesus. You go where he goes. And he went through death and came through the other side. And he took you with him, actually, when he did that. And you reap the benefits of that right now, if you're a Christian. You really do. Reap the benefits of that right now. Now, I, I've been assuming this whole time, which is never a good thing to do, that uh, you're actually united to Christ by faith. I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, 
before I get there, we have to do something else. If you actually believe this, uh, you need to rehearse it. That's our second point. You need to rehearse it. Why do we need to rehearse it? Because we forget. And, and Paul, actually, Paul actually makes this pretty clear to us in verse 3. He asks, don't you know all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? I, mean, I think he asks that because he's arguing with his arguer, this imaginary person who's arguing about this. But I think he's also reminding the Romans and all of us who are prone to forget these things. He uses the same kind of language in verse 6. You're supposed to know these things, right? Oh, uh, yeah, we forgot. We forget important facts about our faith all the time. We forget important implications of our life all the time. And Paul's here reminding us that we need to rehearse these things. We need to remind ourselves of the facts. And um, what we tend to do quite often is we, uh, we lose our place. We, we forget our facts, and, uh, and then we also we betray our beginning. We betray our beginning. And what I'm, what I'm talking about here is in, is in verses 3 and 4. Paul is, is communicating to the Romans that these things are spiritually true of them if they've been baptized. If they've believed in Jesus and been baptized, these things are true of them. They've gone through death in some ways and come out the other side with a newness of life. They're free from the dominion of sin. They can live to God's glory, and they should. But uh, it, we, we forget these things, and we're, we're supposed to, at this point, set on a, on a new kind of journey, a new chapter in our life. But often, we act like this never happened. Often, we act like our baptism or our conversion never really mattered. We don't actually consciously always think this. We just end up living this way. And I'll tell you what it looks like. This is the test. You're like, I don't think that ever happens to me. You know what it looks like when you do that? It looks like verse 1. The guy that says, uh, that asks the question, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, he's actually describing what many of us sort of act like Christians every day. God's really, really great. He'll forgive me whatever I do. And I'm just going to come in and sin. Like, that's what, sort of what it looks like in our lives. When we forget who we are, and we forget our beginning. It's not supposed to be this way. We forget the book's been closed and a new chapter started for us, that we're supposed to have a new life. And again, this is just the very beginning of the story. Paul's going to give us three more chapters on the Christian life. This is just the beginning. But sometimes we fall out of the starting blocks. We betray ourselves at the beginning. Now, I need to take a moment here just to talk about uh, the importance of faith and baptism. Because I can imagine there's at least three groups of people in the room. I'm not saying I know this infallibly because I've polled all of you. I'm just saying I know people, and there's at least three categories of people uh, that this is important for them to hear. Some of you might be thinking, I can't rehearse the facts, and I can't betray my starting whatever block thing you're talking about, my new beginning, because uh, I've never even started. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe this, and I haven't been baptized, so... Why are you talking about this stuff to me? Or better yet, why am I here listening to it? That's a great question. First, if that's you, thank you for coming. I'm dead serious. Thank you so much for coming and allowing us to talk to you about these things. And it's, important, it's great that you're here because I'm actually describing for you what the Christian life will be like. Oftentimes, it's unfortunate, you will get a description of the Christian life that is not accurate or healthy 
you'll feel like you're being sold a bill of goods, and maybe you are. I'm going to give you like it is. I'm going to tell you like it is. And it ain't easy, but it's good. And uh, the, the main task for you, if I just described you, is you've got to figure out whether this Jesus that we're supposed to believe in is actually trustworthy. That's the issue for you. And I would love to talk to you about that. About how you can do that and pursue that. Secondly, uh, there are probably some of you here that, uh, and, and I've met a few of you, and we've talked about these things. You've uh, actually started. You, you took off running. You got the new beginning, but you haven't been baptized. This is sort of like, in my mind, uh, being aside, you know, being at a game, a football game, and wanting desperately to play football and running onto the field and trying to play without a jersey, without any kind of training, without being on a team. You're not wearing the uniform. And uh, it's great that you want to play, but, but you're supposed to join the team. And uh, I'd love to talk to you about that. Now, there's possible that there's a whole other group of people here as well, and it's, it's almost the complete opposite of that last category. It's those who've been baptized, but you don't want to play. You, you were baptized, and you're not sure that you believe at all. And, and Paul says faith and baptism go together. The, the outside mirrors the inner reality, that you're a new person on the inside, and you make a public profession that mirrors your death and resurrection, your new life. And some of you have been baptized, whether it was an infant or even later as a teen, and you're like, I'm not sure I believe anything. And frankly, you're wearing the uniform, but you're standing on the field, footballs are hitting you in the head, you don't care. <laughs> and you're, you're asking, like, what am I supposed to do? And I have to say this. The one thing you cannot do is nothing. You are not allowed to do nothing. Because when you're wearing the team colors, it's a sign of loyalty, right? I mean, you're wearing the colors. You really need to figure out where you stand. If you're not going to play the game, then get out of the game. I'm not saying, like, leave the stadium, never play football, but, you know, check yourself out of the game maybe and go talk to a coach. In other words, I'm saying, let's talk about this. Maybe you're just saying, you know, I know all these things, but the faith doesn't seem vital to me. Something's missing. Well, let's talk about what's missing. Let's figure it out together. So uh, these are the ways in which faith and baptism, which are vital to Paul, the heart of Christianity function in, in the new life of a Christian. So uh, often we betray a new beginning. Lastly, we stumble over our new status. Uh, Paul here says that we've been dead through Jesus and we're alive again. And he tells us in verse 11 that we're supposed to consider ourselves dead and consider ourselves alive as well. Verse 11, I'll read it. Must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that word consider is really interesting. It basically means to do the accounting work, to add up, to tally it up. And basically, if you have a bunch of numbers or a bunch of stuff in the, in the cash drawer, the fact of the number is the same whether you count it or not, right? There is $101.27 in that drawer whether you count it or not. Paul's saying, I want you to count it. I want you to open it and count it and look at it. You need to see it. You need to rehearse it. You need to rehearse the facts. You need to remember your beginning. You need to count it. You need to see it. It's important for you. Uh, some of you have heard the phrase, preaching the gospel to yourself. That's what this is. You actually need to remember. You need to stop, sit down, and say, I trusted in Jesus. 
I know I feel like a great traitor. I feel like a miserable person. I am a miserable person. I trusted in Jesus. I professed my faith in baptism. I was united to him in faith. He died, I died with him. He rose a new life. I have new life in him. And you, you got to repeat that a thousand times. Just keep hitting the refresh button. That is what's true of you if you've trusted in Jesus. That's what it means to rehearse this message. And that's what you're called to do if you're a Christian. You're also called to do one other thing, and that's called revolt. You're called to revolt. And uh, this sounds fun. The reality is, is that we have a Lord. And uh, one of two Lords. We talked about this a little bit last week. I, I talked about how offensive this is last week. If you're offended, you can go listen to last week's message and be offended all over again. Uh, but, but Lords are like belly buttons. We've all got one, and we only got one. And, and we've all got a Lord, and we only got one. I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> belly buttons. I figured at this point in the serious message, we needed a good laugh. So, um, and, and, and Paul here in verses 12 through 4 is talking about the reality of having a master, having a Lord, someone in control of you. And again, last week I talked about how we often think we're in control, but when we're really in control, it's our old, selfish, sinful man. And if you think that's not true, then stop trying to be a selfish person. I mean, you'll see how much it's got its fingers in you. Uh, Paul's saying here in, in, in verse 12, challenging us, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. In other words, sin is used to doing this. It was your old master. This is the old relationship. Y'all are good at this. It's good at reigning. You're good at being reigned. You're really good at letting sin reign in you. It's like, oh, yeah, just tell me what to do. This is fun. And, uh, and Paul's saying, you can't live this way any, anymore. You've got a new life. You don't have to live this way, and you can't, because you have a new Lord. You've been set free, and you have a new Lord. He'll go on and say in verse 14, in a, in a promise, it's actually more of a promise, sin will not have dominion over you. God's at work in you, by his grace, superabounding to overcome the work of sin in your life. He'll say in the same place, law's not your master anymore. What happens is, is the sin and your life and the law work together to create guilt and shame and performance-driven anxiety and mess. And it basically forms like what I call a, 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 a greenhouse effect in your own life where it just produces more sin. And the antidote to that is God brings you out into the reign of grace. And you breathe new air. And you start a new life under a new Lord who's gracious and loves you. And you're called to be loyal to him, loyal to your new Lord. You know, if you serve a new Lord, if you, if you join a new team and, and you don't turn in all your equipment, and you, you wear the enemy's team's equipment out on the field, and you start tackling your own men. Actually, I've, I've done that before. Uh, I worked at this children's home. This is a complete tangent, but it's a great story. Um, I worked at this children's home. Where it was a non-restraint facility, which means even though the kids were terrible and physically abusive toward us, we couldn't lay a hand on them. So we loved to play tackle football. Um, and uh, this one kid in particular was really small. He was so small, in fact, that I used to like press him over my head against the ceiling. He let me do that. Uh, you can't. Statute of limitations is way over. And uh, anyway, we, my my friend calls a play, hikes the ball, and, and the play is like a sweep. Devo sweep right. Okay. okay. And so he takes the ball, pitches it to Devo, and then plows him over. 
tackles it himself. That's not a complete tangent, because in some ways that's what Paul is saying we do here. Like, we've been set free from one master, one team, and we're now on another one. And all kinds of times and all kinds of ways, we take our multiple talents, what he calls instruments here, and we serve the other team with it. We betray our own team. And Paul's saying, look, you got a new Lord. He's gracious and good. He loves you. He loves you. You have every reason to give all of yourself, all of your time, all of your future, all of your skills, all of your ambition to him because he's good. In Jesus, we have a new reality, our union with him. We need to rehearse it. And when we do, we find that we'll revolt in a good way. Well, I'm going to share this story. I think I'll make it through. We'll see. My goal is to make all of you cry. Uh, perhaps you've seen the movie Blood Diamond. Uh, Blood Diamond is about RUF. That's the Revolutionary United Front. When I first started this job in Western Pennsylvania, I used that joke a lot, and no one found it was funny. And uh, I don't blame them because Revolutionary United Front was a terrible group of people that uh, was at work in Western Africa and Sierra Leone. Uh, these were the Diamond Wars. And in the movie... Uh, there's a father named Solomon who's working to rescue his son, Dia. Dia's been kidnapped by a local gang. Uh, Dia's been drugged. Uh, he's been made to witness horrible, violent acts. And in the midst of this whole process, Dia forgets who he is. He's a nine-year-old boy. He doesn't know who he is. So Solomon, his father, searches for him everywhere. And at last, he finds him in a rebel camp, and he rescues him. And on their way out, um, at one page stage later in the movie, Dia actually pulls a gun on a member of the party. And as his father Solomon steps in to, uh, to intervene and begins to talk to Dia, Dia actually points the gun at him. This is where it gets bad. Anybody want to volunteer to read this? Um, Dia's, Dia points the gun at him, and uh, you're wondering if he's going to kill his dad or not. And his dad says, Dia, what are you doing? Dia, look at me. Look at me. What are you doing? You, you are Dia Vindi of the proud Mende tribe. You're a good boy who loves soccer in school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire, making plantains, and red palm olive stew with your sister, Nyanda, and the new baby. The cows, they wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog who minds no one but you. I know. I know they made you do bad things, Dia, but you're not a bad boy. Now I'm your father, and I love you. And you'll come home with me. And you'll be my son again. Yeah, it's, it's a really powerful scene. I actually suggest you go and watch the movie. And uh, the boy breaks down uh, under the love of his father. And he comes home with him. And, and there's a message here for us. Uh, we've seen bad things. And like Dia, we've done bad things. Uh, like Dia, at times we want to hurt our father. Uh, Unlike Dia, we actually do. We, we sin against our Father all the time. And yet our Father in the person of Jesus comes to us over and over and says, I love you. Come home. Be with me. And the person of Jesus says, I'll go with you everywhere. I'll give you a new life. I'll die for you. I'll die with you. I'll bring you into a new life. Let's pray together.